0: using every every trick in the book every every guile that you've got in your body you have to put to to use you know to survive to try and get to whatever um you lie a lot to to authorities you know and you you know you go places without visas you know all the time you cross borders illegally you know um but otherwise you just won't get you won't get the pictures and um and the authorities whoever they might be can continue telling lies. So, you know, it's a great, it's a great endeavour.
1: This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.
0: Hello filmmakers,
2: it's Paul Webster back in the seat. I haven't done a podcast in a while, but I'm really excited about this one. I had a lot of fun chatting with Seamus Murphy, the director of The Curious Sensation of Being, Pat Inglesby. Um, I initially saw a short version of this um, about a year ago at the Mali Museum and was really struck by it. Uh, I knew a little bit, a tiny bit about Pat Inglesby, but I didn't really know anything, it turned out, and uh, was totally endeared by the character. And then it was great to see that there was a fe- feature film uh, being made of the, of the same story. And uh, I... Got to see it at the IFI DocFest there uh, a couple of weeks ago. And you will get a chance to see it uh, being released um, on the 4th of November. So if you go to breakoutpictures.ie you'll be able to find all the information about it there. I really encourage you to go see it. Um had a va- fascinating chat with Seamus about his career as a photographer. Also, if you go to his website, um, Seamus Murphy um, Photography, if you Google that, you'll find him he has an incredible collection of photographs going back about 40 years now um and they're incredible images so we got to talk a lot about that and uh, then kind of his journey into filmmaking making a film with pj harvey dog called money which is a fantastic film i urge you to seek that out as well um so yeah i hope you enjoy this chat with James murphy
3: Just here to space on my floor, it's ready to receive 2,000 more copies of poems so fresh and new, yahoo. The van arrives at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. I will help the man. Together we will walk in and out, in and out to the van. He will wheel and I will carry. We will sweat. My forehead under my arms will be wet. It'll be worth it. When he's gone, I look at my new blue and white book mountain all along the wall of my sitting room and say to myself, here we go again. My poems, I write them, I publish them, I love them. They keep me alive. I sell them through the shops, I sell them in the street. My face and my arms are brown from the sun. Tonight i lie awake for a long time Excited Like Christmas Eve A long time ago My books are coming in the morning
2: So we're in the studio here with Seamus Murphy You're very welcome Thank you Lovely so to be here you are in town from London Is that
0: right? Yeah I live in London And uh, we had a screening last night At the um, Lighthouse It was like a premiere screening And the film goes out from November the 4th Brilliant Um so, I saw, I actually
2: saw so kind of a shortened version of this maybe last year of the mm-hmm. film
0: with about Pat Inglesby at the Molly Museum. Yeah, we, 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 um, we did a, a sort of a it was like a video installation from the film. Um, Molly were very supportive. Um, Simon O'Connor loves Pat and, and liked the work I did. I actually did an exhibition. Of Still's work that I did of a book called *The Republic*, and it was in the museum of um, the little museum in Dublin, and Simon was there, so we've worked together before. Anyway, they supported us in in, in a way, and um, so they had this this you know special special edition of the film, uh, which was great yeah. because also it gave Pat that recognition that you know he doesn't really have yeah. and should have. So yeah. that was lovely. Yeah, well, I have to admit, I
2: recognised him and I'd seen him. But I never actually really knew his work or uh, I think I was burned because there was, there was a, I went to college in Galway and there were always street poets selling their poetry on the street and I bought a couple and they were always
0: <laughs> dreadful. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing. And, you know, also people thought at times it's a homeless guy. I mean, that's and he's got a poem. Um, young girl explained to me, like, why I'm not selling any books. Pat, they think you're homeless. You know, and he's very, you know, he's very honest about that yeah. and very, very sort of, you know, funny about it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, for him it was, and you know, in the film we go into this where, you know, he'd been an RT for 10 years. Um, that was a great sort of experience launch, but he wanted so much more. And I think also the fame thing really didn't sit well with him. He um, has mental health issues, had mm-hmm. mental health mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. And this thing just seemed to kind of really mess things up. So, you know, overnight, as he says, you know, he stopped RTE. He absolutely voluntarily left and took out a black plastic bag, put it on the street. And he had a self-published book and he started selling. And of course, people thought, it you know, he'd fallen from grace. But actually, he he really found himself. That was that was his salvation in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And that's
2: beautifully captured in the film. Just you kind of get the sense of street life. And that was when I first saw the short and then later saw the the feature i really was struck by i was how it was shot and i was like I had, to, I had to look you up and uh then i realized you were a photographer and then you have a, a wealth of photographs on your on your website i spent an afternoon just going through so i'd love to maybe go back yeah, to your journey sure, as a, as sure. into
0: photography first and then how that sure, led to filmmaking sure. i mean i i um I studied years ago in Rathmines College, you know, communications. Um, it was the very early days. I think it was the second year of that course. It was very, it was very, very um, um, theoretical. It wasn't very practical. So when I left after three years, you know, I wasn't able to go into the industry or such. I mean, I think some people did, but I, I didn't. And I wanted to get out of Ireland. This was the eighties. It was a dreadful, grim time to be in Ireland. Yeah. So I went to America for a, a number of years and um, bummed around and sort of, in a way, sort of found myself in some ways. And that was where I really developed photography because there was a there was a, a public darkroom down the street from where I lived in San Francisco, and it was when I was able to sort of take a photograph during the day, process it, you know, that evening, and then print it that night. I mean, you know, that was our version of digital. Yeah. That was just amazing to see the image come through on in the in the developer. Yeah. Um, so I got completely gripped, and that that was that was you know, passion there. And then I came back to England, to live and. I started working in the film industry, um, camera assistant. I was probably the world's worst camera assistant, you know. I mean, I, like, clapper loader. Right, yeah, um, yeah. Really not technical in that way. Yeah. And, um, and the guys that do that are so into it and they're so brilliant. Yeah. And the Brits are just, you know, as technicians, they're incredible. And I was yeah. just terrible. And I didn't like working in big big um, groups, you know. Um, I, it, it just felt like I was lost. I was a cog in the wheel and it didn't suit me. And I thought, well, maybe I'll give the photography a try. So... Um, It's funny, you know, just very, very recently, in fact, during the pandemic, I I started going back through archives that I hadn't scanned before. Because, you know, when you're a working photographer and traveling a lot, in the days when there were lots of assignments, you know, I'd be somewhere and I'd come back and I'd do an edit and I'd give it to um, a a magazine. And, you know, six, ten pictures out of two weeks, maybe a month's work. And there was all this other work and I never, never really looked at it. Um, Certainly didn't scan it because it was all another process in those days. So I started thinking, okay, I'll I'll start scanning. Um, I better go back to the very beginning. And the very beginning was San Francisco. And I just assumed this is going to be very fast because there isn't much here of interest because I was learning how to take photographs. I was learning how to process film. And as, as I said, I'm not very technical. So a lot of the processing was terrible. But I found, what I found was not just pictures that still sort of spoke to me, but Pictures that I would take now, you know, that, that my whatever I'm doing, it hasn't changed that much, which kind of stunned me. Because I think when I started to think about working as a professional, I must have chosen pictures that I thought the newspapers and magazines wanted to see. And it certainly wasn't the pictures I was choosing now when I was scanning so many years later. Right. And uh, I mean, so much so that an Italian publisher is going to publish, publish it as a, as a book, which I, I'm, I really am. I'm not I'm not being modest here. I'm absolutely stunned. Um, so anyway, that, that was the very beginning. And I was living in London. I came back every Christmas for as, as, as exiles do yeah. to Dublin. And um, I, my father was a GP in, in Finglas. And I was sitting in his car. He was doing a house call. And um, these kids went by on, on horseback, you know, bareback horseback in the middle of Finglas. And I looked and I said, that's a familiar sight to me, but I've been away now a number of years. That is not normal. <laughs> <laughs> so I started looking into it. Of course, yeah. there was the market in Smithfield. Yeah. And I shot a story on that and some of the kids in Finglas and they kept horses in their back gardens. It's an old story now, but I think I was one of the first to do it. Right. And the independent in London ran it as a huge feature. Okay. And I got picked up by a Swedish newspaper and became a photographer for them in London. You know, And that was the beginning of, of you know my my career, right? Yeah. Do you
2: remember what your first say assignment or your first like one that you
0: were really excited about? Um, I'd say my first assignment, paid assignment, was not a very exciting job. It was for the Times Literary Supplement, and it was some school in 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 Brent Council, um, and it was boring. But but uh, you know, I was being paid for it to take a picture. Yeah. Jesus Christ, that was incredible. Yeah. Um, first assignment. It was probably, yeah, it was it was the Swedish one where I was sent back, actually sent back with a journalist for the first time to shoot in colour what I'd shot in black and white, you know, Smithfield and Finglas and oh, right, okay. Ballymun, you know, yeah. and the whole thing. Um, that was amazing. And I was working with um, a Swedish journalist and I was working for the Swedish press and I discovered that they paid very, very well, much more than Fleet Street. Right. And they were just very cool to deal with. Um, and they were so ahead of the game in terms of technology. Now, we're not talking here about we're talking about film. Yeah. And, and, but, but, you know, they gave me a scanner, which was a Hasselblad thing. I think it was worth $100,000 or something. I mean, really expensive. And I'd be sent to Manchester, say, to shoot a football match. And I'd have to process the the colour film in the hotel bathroom and then scan it on this, this beast of a machine that had no memory. So you'd scan the picture and then you'd send it and then you'd scan another one. And the picture would be, I mean, it would be saved on the other end. But you had to do things like unpick the telephone line to connect it as a modem. I mean, it was very, wow. very old technology now. But in terms of Britain, it was way ahead of Britain. Right. OK. You know, um, so that was all really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. and But, but you know, sort of starting out as a photographer or, you know, with ideas and being creative, you know, you, you sort of. You use that somewhat in your professional life, but you really have to put it away because, right. you know, they're the needs of the, the paper. Um, you've got to make a living and you start thinking a different way. And that's why coming back to that stuff in San Francisco was like, oh, my God, you know, yeah. it's taken me, you know, so many years to realize that um, what I moved away from professionally and started doing my own personal work. I was doing that right from the start. Right, that was okay. the sort of natural way that I wanted to shoot. Yeah. But I'd curbed it to make a living and, and to and to fit in. Yeah. And was there anyone whose work inspired you at
2: that time or or were you kind of just figuring that? Yeah, out no,
0: there was. I mean the thing about San Francisco was um, it was it was an amazing time to be there. It was the eighties and I was buying all these um, photo books from Garage sales, you know, yard sales, and so I'd be picking up very eclectic mix of of, of work. Uh, William Klein was a big influence. Um, Cartier-Bresson, obviously, was like you know the probably the first you know, first time I saw that picture. I think it's Morocco of a, a, a fat man walking, walking, walking sort of from right to left, and there's this there's this wall behind him or maybe it's Spain, wall behind him with, with, um, with pop marks on it. And there's kids in the floor. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Right. You yeah. know, I mean, the whole world is there and, and just seeing that was like beautiful and terrifying. You know? Yeah. Um, who else? I mean, yeah, as I say, I mean, I was sort of open to all kinds of stuff, yeah. you know, um, there was that topographical movement. Um, um, what's his name? He died not that long ago. I actually met him. Wonderful photographer. But the kind of stuff that I would never probably take myself, but I could yeah. really appreciate it. It was yeah. things like, you know, garage doors and walls. Yeah. Environment, you know, um, urban environment. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's crept into my own work. Yeah. In, in in its own way. And you would have found
2: yourself in fairly dire situations. So you, you were in Ethiopia and places like that. How Ethiopia, did you deal with
0: that? Yeah, I mean, all over. That was, I mean, that was that was an interesting one. I just recently... I came across, you know, a folder of of, of stuff and I, I started again looking at it. I've been scanning scanning that work because I, I only, I think on my website there's an Ethiopian section, but it's actually a very limited um, amount of pictures. I just scanned 150 pictures, you know, from that trip. Right. That trip was actually, that was a sort of typical case in point. Uh, I was with an agent in, in New York, really good agent called Marcel Saba and he had a Sabah, Saba Press Photo was the name of the agency. It was a, it was in the days when the agencies were still sort of viable, right? And there was a there was a bad things brewing in in Ethiopia, and um, he rang me up and said, "Listen, do you want to go to Ethiopia? There's a we think there's a famine going on." And and um, and in those days, what would happen is you'd you'd with with an agent like that, they'd pay fifty percent of the expenses, and you'd pay fifty percent of the expenses. You they, you may not pay for it. You 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 know it might just come out of your take, right? Um, but you'd go. I was on a plane that night, you know, and um, it was film and shooting black and white. And it was, you know, it was a famine. I saw lots of death and and it was terrible because people were being fed because they were in one tribe and not another. right. You know, so the aid was going, you know, it was a very it was very controlled. And there was a drought, but also there was war, but it was very politically driven. And in Ethiopia, Ethiopia was fighting a war with Eritrea over like a, a hill of sand. And yet they were spending a million a day, and yet their people were starving. Yeah. And it was more political than that because it was an area that was actually a Somali area of Ethiopia called um, Ogaden, the Ogaden region. Anyway, I went, I went to that. I'd never been to a famine before, you yeah, know, and yeah. uh, it was really shocking. And, um, and it's interesting, too, because I, I was recalling that it was before digital, before, you know, and Time magazine were interested, very interested. And I had this bag of film. And I also had very bad diarrhea because, right. I'd, because I'd, I'd been in this really terrible um, uh, famine situation. And I was absolutely fine all the way through that, you know. And then I came back to Addis to fly out the next day. And I was in a really expensive hotel and I ate food there. And that's what gave me food poisoning. Right. Um, and I got back to London and I, 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 was, I couldn't leave the flat. But Time magazine needed the pictures. I had to, I had to go to Heathrow to catch the Concorde to get the film on on the on the plane by nine a.m., and I spent the whole night on the loo trying to to make it so I could go to yeah. drive out to Heathrow. Anyway, in the end, I just shit. You know, I I put on three pairs of trousers, a very heavy coat, <laughs> got in the car. It it was fine, nothing happened. But I was prepared for the worst. Right. And I plonked the you know, the the film on the thing and it ran in Time magazine. And that was that was how it was done those days. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's not that long ago. I think it was like it was two thousand. It was twenty two years ago. Yeah. You know. But that was I wouldn't say it was typical, but you know, you could say that was a kinda that was the way business was done. Yeah, yeah. And that's what
2: the did that lead to more work like that? Then was it? Was yeah, that how it because
0: because the thing about America is, and you know, you really have to credit them. You know, you do something in America, and it's 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 recognized and it's remembered. You know, it's incredible. I, I did a story that same year. It was a very busy year for me. I was in Afghanistan, and um, I did a story um, up in the north about Masood, who is this amazing. Mujahideen commander who had fought the Russians and, you know, the Russians could never, could never conquer him. And um, he ended up being assassinated. It was terrible. Um, but, you know, I spent time with him and he was the last guy, you know, the, the, the last man standing was the title of the, of the piece, which ran in the New York Times magazine. It's about this guy fighting the Taliban and the rest of the world weren't listening. And he actually made a prediction that there was a big thing about to happen in the West you know, he, his intelligence was hearing that there was a big thing planned in nine eleven. They they killed him two days before nine eleven. Okay. Uh, anyway, so so that was that was a big story in the New York Times magazine. I still get people telling me in America they they remember seeing it. So it's amazing. Yeah. Whereas in England, you know, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, England doesn't really England has a very great tradition of newspapers. Yeah. There are magazines. There was a while I think in the sixties and seventies, Sunday Times, The Observer. You know, they were strong, but they've very much been a lifestyle thing. Yeah. You know. Whereas America, there's still a, there's still a serious journalism, yeah, um, photojournalism, you know,
2: and you managed to get, you seem like just by looking through your work, you get into places where I hadn't seen pictures of, like yours of the tunnels. How did that come about?
0: I mean, that's the job, you know. That, that yeah. that's, I mean, that's what I love about it, and I, yeah. I haven't been doing photojournalism for a little bit now. I mean, I really want to get back to it because right. it's, 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 it's using every. Every trick in the book, every every guile that you've got in your body, you have to put to, to use you know to survive yeah to try and get to whatever um, you lie a lot right. to, to authorities right you know? yeah, yeah, and you you know you go places without visas you know all the time, you cross borders right. illegally, yeah, you know, um, but otherwise you just won't get you won't get the pictures yeah and um, and the authorities, whoever they might be can continue telling lies. So, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great endeavor. Yeah. Um, but the tunnels is very interesting. It was, um, good friend of mine, Marie Colvin, who was killed in Syria.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sunday times we'd worked together in Kosovo and, um, she's a, you know, she was an old hand of, of, of the middle East, especially Palestine, Israel. Yeah. Um, she was based in Jerusalem for years, um, knew it very well. And, um, you know, she we'd all heard about these tunnels, but we always thought it was just Israeli propaganda. Yeah. And then she came across this guy in Gaza who said, oh, yeah, well, the family, you know, we're in the family business, the tunnel business. And she said, what? And he said, yeah, we're in the business. You know, it's... Uh... So it suddenly dawned on her, you know, like, there really are tunnels and we're, we're going to find them. Yeah. And so we did. And um it was pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty extraordinary.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so just the... The work of it, and
0: yeah, incredible. And and the and then we you know we were talking to these people that you know they swore they weren't involved, you know Egyptians actually because you know the tunnels were going to Egypt and right. um, absolutely swore and you know we spent you know a week with them and the family and and then we left and a week later they were caught doing the tunneling. They they were doing it themselves. You know right. it was just incredible. Yeah, the um the subterfuge that was yeah. going on.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. But it was, it was incredible, um, you know, to be, to be, to be forced in the, into that position that yeah. you had to tunnel under the ground yeah, um, just to get supplies in and, and um, you know, keep, keep alive.
2: And that about like, from what I hear of all places, you know, for journalists to deal with Israelis is very difficult, right?
0: It's very hard. I mean, I, I, I actually worked in a film. I was a stills photographer on a film called Paradise Now, which was made in, 2004 i think it was um and i'd never actually been at that stage i'd never been to to palestine israel um and i was i was brought in as a stills photographer because they were they were shooting in nablus they were shooting a feature film in nablus it was a palestinian film well palestinian uh, israeli dutch german sort of co-production and we had to lie to the israelis to say oh we're working in a romance film and you know it was actually about two suicide bombers right and um and Nablus, they, they chose Nablus because Nablus was, was the epicentre of, of where, they, where the suicide bombers were launched from. Um, so we got amazing access to the old city. Uh, I was able to wander around there. But they wanted a photographer who not only would shoot production stills, but would also shoot what was going on in Nablus while we were making the film, because that was kind of part of the whole story. Um, so I'd be on the set shooting a scene, and then I'd hear clashes downtown and i'd say to the director listen i've got i've got to go they go well one more take so i'd do one more take and then i'd arrive at a clash in the center of the town and you know the israeli idf would be on one side and the guy's throwing stones would be the other side and i'd be in the middle a very dangerous place to be because um, you're better off being on one or the other you're either with the israelis mm. or if you're with the palestinians you you there's a protection of sorts but if you're in yeah. the middle right. or if you're arriving late to the party it's very dangerous and i was v- arriving late too many times um, but it's actually it 's on my site it 's called Paradise if you look okay. at it, yeah. and what I did was I put together an edit of pictures that mixes the making of the film with the real thing that 's happening on the streets of of nablus and and at times you really don 't know which is which And in fact, the more interesting pictures are the real stuff not the not the, the you know the, the movie the movie the movie pictures
2: yeah um, yeah okay. so you 'd kind of been film adjacent but i had- when did you kind of get the desire to actually work as a filmmaker? Then? Well, I,
0: you know, I always, you know, even you know, in Rathmines, you know, it was always in my head. I would love to work in films, and, and um, but this thing of being in a crew and being a technician didn't really work for me. And then, and then, of course, also when I got to England, it was eighty seven, huge union. Um, you know, it was very difficult to get into the union. I mean, I, I did. I was getting into the union. Um, but it was going to take 10 years before I could be, you know, start being a DP or maybe even being a focus puller. I mean, it takes so long. Yeah. And it's brilliant. I mean, it, the yeah. you know, the craft is there. And, you know, I recently worked on um, uh, a film with um, 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 an Irish DP, Kate, Kate, Kate McCulloch. McCulloch. Yeah, yeah, McCulloch. yeah, yeah. I was like second camera. They wanted they wanted the documentary approach. To this film called *The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry*, it's coming out soon, I think, okay. and um, and that was amazing. But what was amazing was that the technicians were still going through the same. There was a I had a, I had a fantastic assistant, and she was taking a long time to go to go up to focus because you know actually no sorry, yes she, to, from from sort of. First assistant to second assist, second assistant to first assistant. So it's still there, yeah. you know, that process. Yeah. Um, but I always had an inkling to, to, to make films. I've always been a huge cinephile and, you know, loved movies. Um, and it was really the, the 5D, the Canon 5D, you know, um, right. because I was, um, I was in Afghanistan in 2010 shooting video on that Canon that was going to be sort of B-roll for a film that I was making with an American production company about my archive in Afghanistan. So it was going to be black and white pictures, still pictures, and then there's other stuff that I shot on the 5D interviews um, and stuff, you know, around and, and, uh, you know, things that were related to the pictures, but also what was happening in Afghanistan at the time. And PJ Harvey had been in touch with me. Polly had been in touch with me. She'd seen my Afghan work and wanted to meet because she was beginning to do research and write songs. Let England Shake was yeah. the album. Yeah, and she wanted someone who'd been to these places, and we got talking and we got friendly. And um, I just come back from this film. And she said, "Oh, you're filming. Do you want to make some music films?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, right." <laughs> and that was that was it. That was that was what started us. Yeah. That was sort of so because I think I was having such a great time. Taking still pictures. And I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to be a filmmaker, but this was, you know, this was really happening. And, yeah. you know, I was traveling and, uh, you know, it was great. Yeah. So it was a question of time. But, you know, when you're offered something and it's solid and um, and it's new, yeah. you know, it was very new and it was very challenging. Right. Yeah. You know, I yeah. came up with this idea. I, I travel around England because my original idea was actually, okay, let England Shake. It's about war. It's about First World War. I'll go, I'll go to Iraq, you know, because I've been to Iraq a number of times. I'll go back to Afghanistan and I'll shoot stuff there, yeah. And I'll make music films, you know, using my experience in those places and and, and my my contacts. But then I thought actually, the film is really about England, and so yeah. I'll travel around England yeah. and I'll find those things, those memories, those 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 the legacy of the empire yeah. and, and the the wars yeah. in England. Yeah. So I was able to do things like Wooten Bassett, where you know the the murder, the that kills the dead soldiers from Afghanistan were were given a send off. That's in the film. Yeah. You know these things, yeah. um, places that just reminded me of First World War, Cambridge. Um, yeah, I just found it. I found yeah. it. You know, on a very very bleak time of year, I travelled around England. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's how that started. That's right. how the film. That's yeah. how the film
2: thing started. Yeah, yeah. Because I I loved that album when it came out and. Yeah, it's bedding, but it's also a bit. It's very clo- colonial, and you know, there's all these sounds. It's you know, Afghanistan, and it's it's the reach of the empire and all that stuff. It's it's such a, an immersive album. And then with the film, I kind of I felt that kind of same. Like you're moving around, and you're kind of there's a there's a lovely kind of pace to it. What were your kind of
0: instincts when it came to editing because this is a dog called money the, yeah yeah, the yeah eventually because yeah. what happened was I <clears> there <throat> was letting them shake yeah and then dog call money was was the next album which was um the hope six demolition project because yeah. what happened was we okay I did, I did the, the short films and it ended yeah. up I did a, sh- a, a film for each track because I shot so much stuff and, right, and okay. I was having such fun and okay. I met this editor who really we really yeah. clicked yeah and um you know it was just it was just great and uh, and it went well and, she, you know, we, we worked really well together and we thought, let's travel, let's, yeah. let's do some traveling together. And, yeah. um, and rather than her just handing me yeah. the songs, yeah. let's try and be in the same place at the same time when yeah. it's all happening, when I'm filming and she's actually writing. Yeah. So that's that was the idea behind. And it's amazing. I mean, she remember her, we were saying, yeah, well, we'd be great. Be, you, write, you, you make an album. Uh, we do a book together, your poetry and my pictures, yeah. and then we'll make a film. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. I mean, we actually did. Yeah. We did. The book came out, the, the album came out, and, and, the, and the film came out. Yeah, <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Um, but the um, that, that evolved, you know, like like yeah. everything. It was like, yeah. I was just thinking of the Pat film when I was walking here. Yeah. You know, um, I had some mad ideas. Like, this is Pat Inglesby, so really it should be something so imaginative. I mean, that was a big challenge for me too, you know. Yeah. Would I live up to, to his you know, incredibly high bar of, you know, excellence yeah. and, and uh, you know, madness, you know, imagination, creativity. Yeah. And I had this idea at one stage, I'd turn him into a sniper um, and he, you know, he goes into this attic and, you know, it's all very kind of dusty and, and he opens up a sort of a skylight, yeah. you know, it's a creak of the skylight and he takes up a, a gun and it's like, it's a spud gun, you know, somehow. Yeah. And, and in the distance you hear a busker singing um, Alleluia, right? So he's going to basically kill yeah. the busker who's singing Eleanor. That was, that was my idea. And I, I had it all. Yeah. Anyway, I, I never did it because the film evolved in another way. Yeah. But I had some amazing sort of thoughts about, you know, how to, yeah. how, you know, he's going, he going to murder people. And, it, you know, this is not the Paddingtons for you, you know and love. You yeah. It's that yeah. idea. Yeah. So anyway, these things evolve. And, and it's the same with Dog Call Money. I had, yeah. you know, extraordinary thoughts about, um, I was even going to start using drones. when Drones were not being used that much. Yeah. Um, I was going to have a drone following Polly and you know yeah. she like like she's g- going to pull the curtains of the window and there's a bloody camera outside. Now it's going to do all this stuff anyway, yeah. in the end it didn't work out that way. Right. Yeah. It I think the material tells you, you know, yeah. what it should be. Yeah. And there's a there's a sort of a there's a logic to it from that.
2: Yeah.
0: Um and then sometimes some some ideas creep in like the bit where there's a choir in in DC and they're singing they're singing the chorus of her song. Yeah. Um and then it goes to the band singing that chorus. So, so it's like the band are in the church, but they're not in the church. Yeah. And, you know, so that was a thought that I had that, you know, to mix that thing of. Because yeah. um, it was the idea with the two, the, these two different worlds, you know, the, yeah. the real world and the, and the recording world and the world inside the studio and the world outside the studio. Yeah. The world you live in, the world the rest of the world lives in. Yeah. You know, um, um, That thing of looking and, you know, looking and being observed Lots of different things going on.
2: Yeah. Feels like just a real collaboration. You kind of get that sense that you just, you both just get on and you kind of click, create. Yeah,
0: we do. We do. And, but the funny thing is, I mean, a bit like Pat, she had no involvement in the film. Right. I mean, zero. Didn't, didn't see the film. Like Pat, didn't see the film until it was finished. Didn't see anything. I mean, she saw, she did see some footage because the three music films I did were, were, were material from the three places for right. the three songs that were released. So she did see that. Right. Um, But she didn't know what I was up to. Right. You know. Right.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Total creative freedom. Yeah. Um, And with Pat, it was similar, but I made sure that I stopped telling him my ideas because he was very disparaging at times. Like, that's stupid or that "That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Then he'd ring up later and apologize and say, listen, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know why I said that. I think it was, he was having to let go of control. Yeah. And that was hard for him. And eventually... He he let go so far that he allowed me to interview him because yeah. at the beginning yeah the 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 deal the deal was you know yeah let's make a film but I'm not being interviewed I'm, I'm not going to be in the film right and I said okay okay <laughs> we'll work around that one right um, and I I was so I, I spent probably about a year planning and, and shooting in a way that he was not going to appear we we're going to hear his voice we we're mm. going to hear his poetry mm-hmm. that's all yeah. The rest would be filled in by me, and I would find a way to tell the story. Um, but it was very handy to have him interviewed yeah. to, to sustain a, you know, because with Polly, she wouldn't be interviewed. Right. And I wouldn't have felt really right interviewing her because yeah. it would have felt, I don't know, it wouldn't have felt right. So, so right up till the end, um, I was trying to find a way to, to, you know, the film was in place, and it was going to be about these three places and the making of the album. That was all very clear. But I needed some kind of connecting thread, and I, I had the idea of these notebooks. Yes. And I, she gave me the notebooks, and I spent like a, a week looking through them, editing them down to what I thought would work in the, for the different places. And then we agreed, yes, that's great. And then we booked a studio, did the voiceover. Um, and then that, that was the thread. Because the great thing about the, the, her notebooks were, were that they were the first draft of, you know, we, we were literally, the, what what we'd said, yeah, we yeah. go somewhere, yeah. I'm filming, and she's literally writing down what she's yeah. seeing. Now, later, she might use that material or might not use that material, yeah. and it would become a song or a poem. Yeah. Um, but that was really the first yeah. draft. Yeah. So I thought that was very strong. Yeah,
2: it was lovely to see, and, you know, someone, someone I've admired her work for so long, and just to see that process in a very kind of just natural way, you know. She's just she just seems to exude creativity and
0: art. Um she does. Yeah. She does. She yeah. does. She's yeah. does. She's always at it. Right. Yeah. Always at it. I mean, you know, up in the morning learning a new instrument. I mean it's just it just right. never stops. Amazing. Yeah.
2: She's all, she's like a kind of like of a different era, nearly. Well she's sort of timeless, isn't yeah. she? And the
0: music is timeless. Like like letting them shake is Yeah. You know, it could be it could be could be almost like sort of um swing at times. Yeah. You know, it's 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 um it's wonderful. And uh, Hope Six, you know, that that process of them making that album, it's one of the most interesting experiences of my life, I right. think having witnessed that. It was yeah. there every day for whatever it was, six yeah. weeks. Um incredible. The discussions yeah. about what you know, yeah. what was working. Flood, the producer, amazing. Right funny and and just brilliant and yeah. uh, john Parrish, all of them i mean just all contributing collaborating but she was the boss right you know in a very very benign way yeah um and what they would do to make sounds you know like um um you know panting at one stage they were panting you know in in in, yeah. in, in syncopated <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know who came up with that idea i don't think they used it in the end but uh, it's fantastic yeah. experience yeah musicians at the top of their oh, game, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and fearless, you know, yeah. and fearless in that, you know, they did it in front of an audience. Yeah. You know, and they had no idea how that was going to go. You know, right. it could have been a disaster. Yeah. And, but, you know, they'd booked in and people had bought tickets and, you know, it was going to happen. So, yeah. you know, that was very, 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 um a very public um demonstration of, 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 of the process.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'd never seen anything like that for anyone who hasn't seen the film. Essentially, they set up a studio... Where the musicians can't see out, but there's basically windows around, and people came to see the recording process. I'd never
0: seen. And the great like thing that. for me as the filmmaker was, and I was the only one allowed in because you know, and, and in fact, it was even sort of put to a vote. Not the musicians; they were they were happy with me, but yeah, the management at um, Somerset House where it was done, you know. They had to agree that the public were not going to be put off by me walking around with a camera, and uh, so they said, "Okay, let's let's do one session, and you you will we'll watch and we'll tell you." And they forgot I was there because I just blended in, yeah. and it was me with my my bloody Canon 5D. It was there, you know I had three cameras on the go at, at times yeah. on different tripods. It was it was it was really crazy. Every day I would just come back exhausted, right. but it was amazing and. Um, and is
2: it just you or do you have a sound person or?
0: No, I had I what I had I had an assistant Max my my nephew was, 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 was uh, he was downloading stuff as okay. I was, as okay. I was shooting Yeah. Um, the sound was fantastic because I had you know microphones on yeah. my, my cameras but in order for the public to be able to hear what all you know all the discussions that, that was going on Um, Everyone wore wore a a radio mic And I had all that material Which was, you know, again, my editor Is a genius at organisation We had this, this unbelievable Every night I had to spend, after like Finishing up and being exhausted I'd wait an hour and a half To download everything Back it up before I left You know, the studio, so I'd leave at 9 o'clock at night Okay Um, It was amazing
1: Winning Spice Bags podcast is back with season four. You can expect the same mix of staple chats with me, Dee Laffin, Blanca Valencia, and May Chin, and deep dives into countries' cuisines, conversations with people from the international community of food in Ireland. Look forward to listening to episodes about shopping, about cakes, Argentina, Nigeria, plus an episode to celebrate the launch of our cookbook, Books Soup. So tune in to us wherever you access your podcasts or headstuffpodcast.com.
2: It's going to take a little break there uh, a little bit of F&I news there's going to be a Christmas party on the 10th of December in Northern Seoul just there at Grattan Bridge at the end of Capel Street we urge you to come along bring friends uh, celebrate a year and uh, getting back to socialising again and um, kind of normality that has returned to filmmaking Um yeah it should be a good night so if you want to check the socials for information there um, or go to wearefni.com
3: How did you find me? How in the name of God did you find me? A tiny infant down in the heart of old Molahide village in the little house beside the coal yard Were you looking for me or what? Jesus I I was only just born, I knew nothing at all. The name they put on you was bigger than me, Infantile Paralysis. And you found me down there in that beautiful place, beside the village green, looking over to the island, looking out to sea. You came into me and you made me cry. What time did you come in? What day was it? Because I don't know. And what brought you down that way in 1942? Which way did you come? Was it down New Street, past Bertie Biles? Was the tide full in? I don't know that either. Did I make a sound as you were going past? Was that the way it happened? Was the wireless on? What could you hear? Are you still alive? Are you still doing your various stuff? I'd like to know your name. Mine is Pat. I played soccer in spite of you and I was good.
2: Yeah, I get the sense that that film took a while. Like you know,
0: It to took make... a while. Um, Covid happened. Um, funding was, was tricky, especially with, you know, this is a film about, about Pat Inglisby, but he won't be appearing in it. Um <laughs> I don't think that was a big issue actually. I think it was also an issue of selling Pat. Yeah. You know because because you know the arts establishment they uh, you know we got we, we got shortlisted for arts council um, film grant. But Seems did, an absolute natural. Absolutely. Fish. Yeah. But they didn't go for it. And I and I you know from the questioning it was like well why him you know mm. and I felt like saying well if you have to ask that question then we're wasting our time here you know. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think that was that was that was probably the thing that was difficult. Um, So I played up the which is very true and it's still true in the film. This is a film not equally about Dublin, but Dublin is very, very much one of one of the characters. Yeah. You know, a main character. So I was pushing that side of it. Um, um, And so, yeah, it did take time. Uh, it took time. So, you know, it took long enough that the trust was built up and then he would agree to be interviewed and let, let go of some control. Yeah. yeah. Um, the editing took time. Right. You see, it started in 2013. I made a short film for The New Yorker about Dublin. Um, it was an idea that, you know, I, when I was three, 1963, John F. Kennedy came to Ireland and I saw him. Went along with my father and, and I saw this guy and I remember it. I mean, it must be my first memory because I can't remember much else until I was about 12. Right. <laughs> but I remember JFK and his, right. w- and his ginger hair. I remember that. Right. Um, and that was, you know, hugely interesting. And then, you know, later that year, I remember my mother crying because Kennedy was killed. Right. So that was quite an introduction to America. Yeah. So um, I pitched this idea. Look, I do a story about being from Dublin, but returning to Dublin having traveled around and being being around the world but it's also the 50th anniversary of his death and they went yeah it sounds like an interesting idea and that that was the beginning of this this film and i i i, I started shooting and um there was a JFK thing in New Ross because that was where the family came from so i went along to that and yeah. shot footage of that and yeah um you know there were there were sort of images of of JFK in shot windows it was kind of it was an interesting interesting mix yeah. of stuff but at the end of it, I, I kind of, I even, there was, it, this was even the time when the AIB, was it AIB? No, um, the, the, the tapes of those bankers that had, that had, do you remember? They, oh, they yeah, they picked yeah. a number out of their arse. That, right, all yeah. that stuff was yeah, going yeah. on. And I, I recorded all that. And I was going to use that in the film. And, you know, again, ideas evolve. And yeah. uh, I had it all down. I went, I went to New York and showed it to the New Yorker and they loved it. They yeah. loved it. They, they were very happy, but I wasn't actually happy. And I thought there's something missing here. You know, there's something missing that I'm. I'm not getting this right. It was only a ten-minute film, but I really wanted it to twelve-minute film. I really wanted it to work. Yeah. And uh, I thought Pat Inglesby is now that's that's a persona. I didn't I didn't know Pat. I didn't really know his poetry that much, but I do remember him being a very interesting character. Yeah. And I was aware that he was still around, and I thought this this might be an interesting connection with the past and, and the '60s. And so anyway, I, I met him yeah. and we got on really well. Yeah. And you know, within ten minutes, we were in the Palace Bar. He was drinking coffee. I was drinking a pint and I started going through his book and with with a sound recorder in my hand, I recorded some poems and they ended up in the film. In fact, some of them are even in this film, in this film. Okay. Yeah. So in 2013, I shot a lot of footage
2: yeah.
0: uh, around Dublin. And of course, a lot of it, a lot of it did, didn't end up in that film. And I ended up using some of that in this film. So actually some of the footage is from 2013. Okay. Um, it was a really nice summer. And um, yeah, so it took time. It yeah. took time. Yeah. And because,
2: the, like, the some of the most memorable moments are just Pat lying around in his house. So it took you a while to get there, obviously.
0: Well, no, that was that was fairly early oh, on well, because what okay. happened was, OK, he's not going to be in the film. Right. But his voice is. So okay. I thought, OK, this is going to take time. There's a lot of poems and I wanted to be relaxed. Um, so I'll set up a, a thing in, in his home uh, where he's wearing a, a mic and... I'm, I'm giving him all these poems to recite, and he'll recite them. That was that was the plan. And after the first day, and listening to like hundred anecdotes in between each poem, and then him saying, "Oh, hang on, this is a great poem, yeah. one I hadn't chosen," and they were they were all great poems. Yeah. I realized I'm not I'm not going to miss this. So I, yeah. I brought in the camera, very visibly, and he could see I was setting the camera up. Yeah. As long as I didn't ask him a question, he was fine. Okay. And if I did ask him a question, there'd be a frosty silence, and like we're, I'm not doing a Fucking interview, you know. Right. So yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And I kept filming, and so so that was you know, vagina in the Vatican, for example. Yeah. You know, the full the full the full glory of that is him lying against a a beanbag in his in his house. Yeah. You know, one take, and look at I mean, when you listen to it, yeah, the delivery is perfect. Yeah. Um, and that was very early on. Yeah. You know, very early on. Yeah. And what was what do you feel his resistance? to being interviewed initially. Where was that coming from, do you think? I think he doesn't like talking about himself. Okay. Um, he doesn't like the spotlight, weirdly enough. I mean, he, mm. you know, like everyone, he's a complicated character. Yeah. You know, he loves attention. He loved, he found himself, you know, when he, when he picked up a microphone at Red Island holiday camp and started entertaining people, yeah. he discovered who he was. Right. And yet, being so authentic to himself and having mental health issues and discovering that actually... This was not healthy for him. Mm. Um, That's why he left RTE. You know, he, I think doing an interview would be all the things he hated about fame and celebrities, you know, going on the Late Late Show and complaining about being famous. And his thing is, well, don't, well, then just don't go on the Late Late Show or, you know, you know, you don't have to, we don't have to hear about you complaining about it. Yeah. And all you're doing is publicizing yourself and brushing your own ego. He hates that. Right. And I hate that too, so it was a real meeting of minds and um, so that I think that was it i think that it was it was the fact that you know i 'll be talking about myself, and that 's awful and I, you know and, and he also was aware that because he 's such a great performer he 'll end up performing, but that you know it, it was unavoidable and I think also as time went on, he um, could see Tom Burke was the producer who 's himself a great director, you yeah, know but he, yeah. he god he sacrificed himself. At the altar of Pat Inglesby to, to to get this film made, and I couldn't have made it without him, you know. Right. Um and you know, it was a collaboration. Um but um, you know, I think he, Pat saw the work we were putting into it and he trusted us. Right. Um and you know, that, that I think that's what it was. I think it was the building up of trust. Yeah. And he felt that he could let go and he would be in safe hands, he wouldn't be exploited. Um he could he himself could control the situation. In an interview which he which he did yeah. <laughs> he certainly did right he talked about what he wanted to talk about yeah um, he wasn't cornered in any way I didn't sort of try to catch him out or right delve into things that would be you know yeah interesting and yeah. fruity you know what I mean didn't do any of that I uh, just wanted to hear him tell his story yeah you know
2: one of the things I loved about it was how you shot how you shot it how you shot Dublin it's kind of an ode to Dublin I I've, it was it connected with me because I spent a year making a documentary and series about Dublin Bay. So I kind of thought I'd shot the whole everything, <laughs> you know. But uh, what in your film? I was like, oh, it. The- I just you captured you captured it in a really interesting way. Malahide and uh, Clontarf. And you kind of captured a kind of a surrealness as well. How much of that was kind of planned and how much was just kind of, like, like, just going out and, and shooting as well. It was like just it
0: going was. out and shooting the, right. in the way that I like to shoot. Um, uh, you know, I think um, it was certainly my intention and my desire to have a film which was featuring Pat Inglesby and his, and his poetry that would in some way, you know, be consistent with that. But I, but I, that's the way I shoot. I mean, that's right. the thing. It like, it's like the, the, that short film. I'd shot all of that before I met Pat. Right. And then I put together... Um, sequences using his poetry. I didn't have to. Didn't have to go out and shoot anything extra. It was yeah. all there because yeah. it's kind of the way I shoot. Right. So it's just me. Yeah. It's. It's. I guess it's my eye. My. My approach. Yeah. Um, and. Um, and I am an insider. Outsider. Insider. You know. I'm from Dublin. Grew up in Dublin. And at the age of whatever twenty three, I left and I never lived here since. But I yeah. visit a lot. So yeah. I'm. I am an outsider. But I'm still very familiar with Dublin and. Um, and I know how it 's represented, and so you know there 's things that i don 't i mean you know the pigeon houses yeah it's it 's such a it 's such a landmark um and in some ways you can 't avoid it you know if you 're yeah. shooting landscapes it 's always there or you know, in some way yeah um touchstones you know yeah um i mean there was even there's there 's that wonderful poem, the man who calls everyone John, and it 's the guy walking along reading his newspaper, and he stops every so often, you know yeah, i mean I shot that without that poem in mind. But it, you know, looking through, and I love the poem, looking through, oh, this might work. Yeah. You know, because it stops and starts and stops. And this, this guy could be John. You know? Yeah. You could just imagine him being John, you know, on his day off or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, at the very end, he he walks along and there the there, there's the pigeon house and it wasn't yeah. intended. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, thank you. That's that's lovely to hear. Um, what's next for you or do you... Yeah, I'm doing a number of things. There's, um, there's, a, there's a project that I've shot as a stills project that's done. America, Russia, their, their odd relationship, their odd sort of romance almost. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, I've been working on that for years. <laughs> Everything takes years. Yeah. Um, I started doing, doing, doing the project as an American project. And then I went to Russia on an assignment. And I'd been to Russia before, but because I think the American work was in my head, it was like, hang on a minute, this is very similar. This is actually, you know, people's lives are not that different. Yeah. Ordinary people in America, ordinary people in Russia. Yeah. You know, so that that led to a, a thought that maybe I could, maybe I could um, do a project that sort of looked not at the huge contrast, but actually where we, you know, could mistake one place for another. And the edit I've done is america russia america russia you know you're, you know which is which yeah. as you're going through it but then you lose track right and i've done this with americans and russians and they get it wrong so it's kind of interesting wow yeah and, and not i didn't shoot it deliberately that way yeah um so i've, I've done that and i'm making a moving image version of that it's mm-hmm. loosely based on the same kind of conceit yeah but obviously being a film it'll be different and yeah. there's people talking and there's uh, the Afghan war. The Af- Afghanistan is in there because it's a, it's a common mm. um, war that the two countries have shared. Yeah. And I've, I, I did a short film for Channel 4 News on um, Russian-Soviet-Afghan um, veterans you know, who, who fought that war, still alive. Right. Because we always hear about the Americans, but we never really hear that. Moment. So that was very interesting. So I'm using them against the Americans. Yeah. Um, and there are different versions of what they think of the country. Yeah. Um. What they think they you know did right what they got wrong very interesting the russians they've all now come to the the conclusion helped and and bent by by putin that mm. you know gorbachev apologized for the afghan war and said it was a huge mistake yeah putin has turned it all around and, and says we were absolutely right this was the right thing to do and all the veterans of course are very happy about that because they they feel like it wasn't in vain. Oh, okay. So they've bent the narrative to suit, they've bent reality to suit their narrative. Right. Which is very indicative of how Putin runs his, runs his, right. runs his country. Yeah. So that's involved in the film. So it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a different, but it's, it's kind of a similar, similar, similar idea, general mm-hmm. idea. So I'm working yeah. on that. Um, there's a family that I met in my first trip to Afghanistan in 94. Um, I stayed with them for very briefly, but got to know them and, Every time I went to Afghanistan I would I would check in with them and take a few portraits and yeah. you know, find out what was going on. And they've had a really they've lost lots of people. Yeah. Um one is now living in another country, one is still there trying to get out. Um so I've been I've been photographing them and I'm looking at the possibility of making a film around that. Okay. Um there's a few things that have to be done before I can do that. Yeah. Um but I was back there earlier in the year, during the summer. And um, I learned all kinds of new things about the family that had been sort of kept from me and from everyone else Yeah. Um, that just opened up mm. their story. Yeah. Um, and you realise, I mean, when I met them first, it was 1994, a terrible civil war. They were in a desperate situation, living in the, one of the most dangerous parts of Kabul. And they were living on a front line. And um, one of them had lost a leg the year before in a rocket attack on the street. They'd lost a boy, a young man to the fighting a few years before that when I went to see them again, two years later, the Taliban had taken over Kabul and two of them had been killed. So the guys I'd photographed, I did, I did a, a, a family picture again and there were yeah. two missing. They were yeah. been killed and it goes on and then yeah. they get married. The younger ones get married. I met the younger one. The youngest one was 12 when I met him. Now he's 40, 40 right, 41. And yeah. He's got four kids. Right. And he's still there. Um, his older brother was 15 when I met him. He had one leg. He's now living somewhere else. So there's a very interesting story. It's a yeah. story of a family at war. Yeah. Um, and if I can find a way to make a film of that using my stills as well. Yeah. And the stills I have generally of Afghanistan. Um, I'd like to I'd like to put that together. How do you kind of
2: process your life in that way in that you're going to these quite extreme places? And, and when you come back to London, how, how does
0: it affect you? Like... I think the camera protects you. You know, you're you're not you're not going just to experience all this misery. Because also yeah. the thing is, you know, you focus on the story and you focus on the people and their situation. And yeah. it might be terrible, it might be you know war stricken, but a lot more goes on. There's a lot more joy to it. Yeah. Uh, and I try and I try and incorporate that in in, yeah. in my work. You know, that I I did a book on Afghanistan, Darkness Visible, and I remember someone saying, "Why are, why is everyone laughing all the time?" And I think there's six pictures of people laughing, but you know. Yeah. Out of a hundred pictures, six is nothing because yeah. you know you're they're laughing a lot, you yeah, know, people laugh a lot, yeah, and so you know it's life is fuller than just the misery and yeah. um so it's not all doom and gloom and I'm there um it is yeah you, know, you have to adjust, but I think you are protected by the camera, mm. you know you have a mission, you have a task, um you're busy sort of making sure you do certain things, you got to catch a flight, you got to get the visa, you got to stay alive, that's all very engaging, yeah um. I think later on things do hit you, you know, you, or sometimes you know when you're scanning a picture you haven't seen for a while and you look again and oh Jesus, yeah, that is a dead body and you know, it, it they are they are lived experiences. Yeah. Um, I don't get nightmares over it. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there may be things that have affected me that I don't, I'm not aware of. Right. And that's absolutely possible. I mean, yeah. PTSD works in strange ways. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure. I, I'm sure I have PTSD of some kind, but I think everyone does yeah actually yeah you know a car accident or your parents separating whatever it might be you know yeah. we all have these things we deal with it that's life yeah yeah. you know um,
2: kind of leaves it nicely we always kind of ask a question towards the end we're very much a podcast that's aimed at creative people people getting into the industry and that kind of thing Um and we all love it but it can be Tough as well, you face rejection. You face Nightmare. periods where you're not working, <laughs> yeah. and, and then sometimes it's a, too a daily much work. struggle. Right? Yeah. yeah, you
0: reinvent the wheel every time you wake up. Right? Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Um, I mean, photography is, has gone. You know, as you know, it's, it's yeah. you know went from being a a career and a job and, and a profession that you know the, there was so much work, so many people have been employed. I mean, for example, you know when I went to. Concord yeah you know the film the pro- the film was processed i mean I, I brought the film and put it on the plane. People processed that film. There were labs doing that you know running twenty four hours a day. Um, there were couriers that took that to the the agency. There were people in the agency going through the pictures, you know um editing them, captioning them, you know all those people were employed they're all they're not there. I go with a bloody camera now, and i'm expected to you know process the image, send it, um, do all the captioning. Yeah. Um, you know, so how many people have lost a job right there? Then you've got, you know, the magazines themselves. You know, they – I'm not going to bitch about this because there's, there's, there's no point. But, yeah. you know, it's yeah. it's very tough. Right. It is very tough. Um, the film game I'm sort of getting to know. Yeah. Um, I thought it was going to be a lot easier than photography. I don't, <laughs> I don't think it is at all. Not really, yeah. You know, we still work for very little money and um, – yeah. We put together these films, and uh, the budget's always, you know, minuscule. And maybe it'll change in time. I don't know. Um, it's tough. It's tough. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You have to do commercial stuff. You have to do stuff that you don't necessarily want to do. Um, but you know, we do it because we want to do it. So I'm not gonna pitch. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's, it's 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 a wonderful way to spend your life.
2: Yeah. It's the way I think of, it. and definitely your work. It's it's an adventure.
0: It is. It is. It has to be. And and, you know, when it stops being interesting on that level, I think we just stop. You know, what what would be the point? Yeah. You know, um, and it's endless, isn't it? You know, you never solve the you never solve the problem. That's the thing. It's constantly trying to find solutions, and um, I think it keeps you young, keeps you active, keeps your brain going. Um, But yeah, it must be must be tough. I guess though, you know, younger people coming up through college, learning about industries like this um they're probably much better equipped than i certainly was you know i was so badly equipped i mean most of my career successes were you know i, I stumbled on them yeah you know uh it seemed it's, i seemed to be just rescued at the, at the at the at the last moment yeah um a lot of it was not um my brilliant strategizing but you kept showing up it kept showing up kept working yeah you know. Kept, uh, kept, um, kept an interest. Yeah, but yeah. just you know, things happened. And, yeah. um I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that as a way, of, yeah. as a way of <laughs> maintaining a, a career, but it worked for me. Yeah. Uh, so far. Yeah. Um, but it must be tough. I mean, but there is, there is quite a lot of work though. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, we're, we're in this lovely studio, and we, you showed me around. There's people, yeah. people working doing podcasts, and yeah. you know, there's ways of doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and in some ways, the creativity comes in finding creative ways to to stay alive.
2: Yeah. It's interesting because we you know I think you're our 176th podcast wow. interview or something wow. like that. So uh and pretty much everybody uh from Ireland or working in Ireland in the film industry and we all ages you know and the challenges change you know the challenge when uh, say older people were getting into was it's just Getting stock, getting you know everything was so expensive. But if you made a film, people would see it because it was made. Exactly. Whereas now it was it's, unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was special.
0: Yeah, yeah. Irish yeah. films, especially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I remember when I was in Rathmines. People like Cal um, Black, Shay Mary Doyle, Joe Comerford. You know, yeah. these were the guys that were kind of you know they were the they were the trailblazers. Yeah. Amazing filmmakers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, amazing filmmakers and. Yeah. Um, God, you know, what a, what a great legacy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, huge kudos for, for, for achieving what they did. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Like,
2: so challenging. Now, it's easy to make a film, it's harder to get it seen.
0: Absolutely, thing. absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, you're out there with so many others. and Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's difficult, different. Um, yeah, but, you know, I think if if the film has something to say, you know, that's important. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying it's a guarantee of anything, but it's important.
2: Yeah, yeah. You
0: know? And I think great thing about Ireland is it, it is small enough that, um, you know, I think you get a shot at at, at, at um, some kind of exposure yeah. if you make a film. I think, yeah. I think you get a shot at it. You know, yeah. Not much more than that. Yeah. But I think in other places it's pretty much more difficult, you know, with bigger, bigger, bigger populations. Yeah.
2: Definitely. Anyway, it was great chatting to you. Good chat all day. Lovely. Really, really well, appreciate you coming
0: in. Thank you for thank
2: you for inviting me. It's been been great. Cheers. And we'll uh, we'll put the information for people to go see it up at the start. So we'll be encouraging everyone to go see. Great stuff. All right. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Cheers.
1: The woman came to Ireland from France, and she fell in love with the sky. She entered it with her eyes, and she gave herself willingly she'd never seen such sorcery nor flirtation with the light. The sky would be making lavender and ochre. The sky would be purple bleeding into blue. The sky would be mixing wild colours for her and throwing them in the sea. The sky would be hinting mischief and burning it with gold. The sky would be her alchemist. She was so beautiful and alone. She could depend on it when there was no place else to go, she could speak her sadness to it. It would be streaking secret colors only she would ever know. Another time could make her laugh suddenly with delight. She got a way of looking. The sky would roll away backwards with the wonder of her and the lowering of her eyes.
3: When she went away with the terrible trouble, the sky was quiet for a while. Wandering clouds this way and that, limping into blue. She would think about how it was. She would remember the silver and the grey of it, the infinity of the canyons, the primeval evil, streaking way of it.
1: The sky is looking down, a long, empty strand, the wind-blown places she would love to go. The sky is heavy, with the weight of wanting. Only the French woman and the sky would ever know. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the podcast studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.